Good morning, everybody. Welcome in to a Monday edition of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate the patronage. That just means I'm glad you're listening. Many thanks to Corey Truax, to Dave Wilson, and Justin, and Mitch, and everybody that uh, filled in on the radio for me while I was gone. I really, really appreciate it. It takes a whole bunch. Of, it takes a village, ladies and gentlemen, to replace me as host of the program. And uh, so here I am today by myself, Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement at North Greenville University, and also the Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Oh, yes, and I serve as interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church. Yesterday, I had the honor of speaking at Ennery Baptist Church. My good friend Dale McCoy is the pastor over there. We've got a, had a long friendship uh, over the years, uh, been through a lot together, and he invited me to come back before I committed to go to Five Forks. So um, had Matt Bradley, who is the youth minister there at Five Forks, preached a pro-life uh, sanctity of human life message yesterday. Um, same thing, really, that I did over at Ennery. I, I preached and talked about the sanctity of life and encouraged the church to embrace an ethic of life that begins with making sure that the question of life is theological primarily in the church and not political. Um, we live in a political society, political culture. We have to respond politically. We have a responsibility in a constitutional republic to be salt and light and to elect people that reflect the values that are best for the country. Um, and all of that is still true. I, I, don't get me wrong. Uh, but in the church, uh, we've got to win the hearts and minds. That's the church's responsibility, is to get the truth in front of enough people that they accept the truth and that their minds and hearts are changed when it comes to the value of life. And we just haven't done a very good job in the church. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. You know, we've been very quick to condemn abortion, and we should condemn abortion. But we've been very slow to address some of the underlying causes of abortion. And we've basically created an atmosphere in the church in general that does not encourage women to turn to the church if they have a crisis pregnancy. And they should. They should feel like they can go to God's people, receive grace, uh, mercy, and receive encouragement and help. And if they need shelter so that they don't have to have an abortion, the church helps them find shelter. If they need a job so they don't feel like they have to have an abortion, then the church should help them find a job. If they need transportation, if they need whatever they need, the church needs to stand ready to meet those needs and we could cut way down on the number of abortions by meeting the needs of women in a crisis pregnancy situation. Now, you may say, well, we just don't, we don't have the resources. We don't have the staff. We don't have the, okay, then lean in to a crisis pregnancy center in your area, partner with them, and help women get connected with plenty of nonprofits in the area who can do that. I mean, you've got Quiverful. My daughter works for them. It's an adoption agency that helps uh, pregnant moms that decide they don't want to kill their baby, they, they want to give the baby up for adoption, it, it, it connects them with parents who want to adopt. Um, perfectly 
a, a great example of intervening to make life happen instead of promoting a culture of death. Um, you can work with the Piedmont Women's Center. You can work with the Carolina Pregnancy Center. Uh, there are plenty of organizations out there uh, that you can partner with. Uh, Miracle Hill. I mean, so many, so good, so many good ones that can offer help if you feel like the church can't. But we've got to be not only we, we need to speak the truth, and the truth is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our Creator who loves us so much that He came and sacrificed Himself in the form of His Son on the cross so that we might have life everlasting and, have, and know the joy of the forgiveness of sin and the fellowship of the Father for all eternity. This is, you know, the, these are things that we should respond to with joy um, and we should be willing to extend that grace and to others to try to help them in a crisis pregnancy situation. And, and we should continue to proclaim the truth that abortion is the taking of a human life. And we do that, I think, best when we do it theologically. That is, we set the foundation. We talk about, um, as I did yesterday, from Psalm 139, you know, the Bible's very clear when it makes a reference to being fearfully and wonderfully made. You go back to Genesis, and we see the extent of God's intervention or God's design in humanity. You, you see a, a heavenly Father, an all-powerful God, who spoke all of creation into existence. But when it was time to create humanity, human beings, men and women— Instead of simply speaking men and women into existence, God formed us out of the dust of the ground and breathed into us the breath of life, placing into us his image, creating us in his image in an intimate, close, and miraculous way. And that's why life is precious. That's why the value of a baby exceeds the value of a bald eagle or the value of a baby exceeds the value of a dog or a cat or any other animal. I mean, we, we should never have the conversation about what is more precious, a, a, some type of animal or a human being. Human beings have souls that transcend death that therefore are eternally value in God's economy, eternally valuable, I should say. So that's the message that we need to get out. Um, I spent the last uh, week in D.C. going to the Stand for Life conference. It was a leaders conference, and I was able to see some good friends, got to talk to Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary. Um, I was able to uh, see Matt Chandler, uh, who's one of my favorite preachers. I just It was such a joy uh, to see him and his wife. And a lot of other people that I've seen before at other conferences, we were able to get back together and have great conversations and hopefully start up some partnerships and things that would that will be beneficial. I did kind of um, throw a monkey wrench into things a little bit on the last afternoon, um, on Thursday afternoon of the conference, because when we were given the opportunity to stand up and talk about the conference and the things that we've learned, I brought up the fact that there had been very little to no discussion about the role of government in protecting life. And I was told that the reason is because this was a conference about the church and what the church needs to do. And I, I 
accept that. But part of what the church needs to do is make sure that the body of Christ is informed about what's happening in the world of politics and in the government, which is the big reason that I sit here and do this show for a couple hours every day. Because if we don't know, we can't be salt and light in an arena when we don't have the truth or we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the facts. And, and that doesn't mean that we attack lawmakers or that we're rude or crude, and I've talked about this a thousand times, but it means that we know the truth and we encourage our legislators. We pray for them. We know how to pray for them when we know the truth. We know what to pray for them about. And we, we carry that out in a way that honors God and is a good testimony in the culture. We talk to these legislators, we encourage them, and we pray for them, and we push them in the right direction in the sense that we share our thoughts and our heart with them and make the argument as to why life is precious. Folks, let me tell you something. If you don't know this, we're losing this battle. That is the hearts and minds of, of, of the people when it comes to when life begins. Because there are plenty of people that want to see that would support a six-week ban or a 15-week ban or a, whatever you want to call it but uh, as, as going forward. But if, as far as people understanding the, the theological foundation that you and I are created in the image of God, and at the moment of conception, that image is ours. It is, it is given to us by God. And that argument is getting lost, and that's why a lot of politicians, that, that people are not responding to the laws that get made in South Carolina, and we end up with a 22-week ban on abortion, which allows women to have abortions up to 22 weeks. We also fail to address the chemical abortion crisis, which the Biden administration is using the FDA rules to manipulate them in a way that allows chemical abortions to get around abortion laws in states that would like to protect life in the womb. The Biden administration is one of the most evil administrations in my lifetime. And I that's a strong statement, but I, it is absolutely the truth. Because any any administration that would seek ways to make it easier for a woman to kill her baby, irregardless of the effect that it has on her going forward or the effect that it has on society or the culture or population or anything else, um, I don't know what else to call it. Okay, it's uh, going to be NFL Championship Sunday, this coming Sunday, and at 3 o'clock on Fox, if you're planning to watch the game, It'll be the NFC Championship, the Philadelphia Eagles versus the San Francisco 49ers. Now, the 49ers are going to be in that game for this reason, because as long as Dak Prescott is the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, they will not go to the Super Bowl. You can, you can write that down. Um, he played great against Tampa, Tampa Bay, and that's a good thing. But when the chips are down and the pressure's on, he cannot perform in a way that a championship quarterback performs. You don't ever think about Dak Prescott leading the winning drive down the field in a critical moment of a game. It's just not something that you think about when you think about Prescott. And it's because, yes, he's got great stats. He's got great, um, I mean, numbers in terms of 
uh, what a successful quarterback would have, but there's something that's missing that quarterbacks that make it to the Super Bowl have that Dak Prescott doesn't have, and that's the ability to make big plays when the game is on the line. And what happened yesterday with the 49ers, he threw two interceptions. And they weren't just interceptions. They were. It's not just sometimes what you do as a quarterback. It's when those things happen within a game. Those were those were momentum changing turnovers. And then there were some passes that he should have made that he didn't. Now we can debate about whether Michael Gallup was on the wrong page or Dak Prescott. But Dak Prescott threw the ball the wrong place. Gallup couldn't catch it at a critical moment when Dallas needed a first down and they were driving for what could have been a touchdown. Same thing with C.D. Lamb. And don't even get me started about that last play of the game. I mean, who knows what nightmare Mike McCarthy had when he woke up in the middle of the night and said, I'm going to put Ezekiel Elliott as the center and I'm going to spread out my linemen all the way across the field I, and and it came what did it, it came to nothing nothing Ezekiel Elliott predictably got run over because he doesn't play center okay and and there were no linemen to protect to protect Prescott so he throws the ball the only place he can and the guy gets tackled immediately and the game's over what a, what a laugh i mean it it was it was sound and fury signifying nothing so I, I <laughs> but the bottom line here, and, and it's terrible. Tony Pollard got hurt. That had an impact on the game. There's no question. Pollard's the best running back that Dallas has. He's not the highest paid, but he's the best. And Ezekiel Elliott just could not do the carry the run load that had to be carried in order to beat the 49ers. But this all comes back. I'm, I'm just, and I'm sorry about that. I like Dak Prescott. I mean, from everything I've read about him and what I hear about him, I think he's a he's a good guy. He seems to be a a, a really good guy. Um, but he does not have that factor that Super Bowl quarterbacks have. That that at the moment when the game is on the line, they make the best decision. And their team is able to rally around that and win. And and yesterday, he was up against a rookie quarterback, a quarterback that hasn't played eight games yet, I don't know, or completed a whole season in the NFL. And, and yet, Purdy's passing passer rating yesterday was 87%, something like that, and Dak Prescott's was 64. He's been in the league eight years as the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, that going into yesterday's game should have been the deciding factor. The ability of a seasoned veteran quarterback to make decisions, good decisions at the right time and to win the game. And that's not what happened. So don't look for the Cowboys in the Super Bowl if Dak Prescott's going to be the quarterback uh, going forward, unless there's some miraculous change in his ability to have that factor that makes the difference between quarterbacks that can get it done during the season for the most part and quarterbacks that can face the pressure of big games like yesterday and not throw two interceptions at critical moments. 
I mean, that just – you're never going to win like that. All right. Uh, anyway, NFL championship game, NFC is Sunday at 3 on Fox, and then the AFC championship will be the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals at 630. Um, and I, who's going to win? Um, if, I had to, if I had to pick, I'm, I'm picking the Eagles uh, over the 49ers. I don't think that uh, they'll make the same mistakes. They, they are playing right now. Their defense and offense is playing the best that I've seen all season. I think that experience will matter with the Eagles. Um, I think if the game is on the line, that they'll make the kind of decisions that win championships. And so I think they'll win. Now, I won't be shocked if the 49ers win. They're a great team. I mean, when they got McCaffrey, um, that's almost unfair. You realize you've got, you've got wide receivers on the 49ers that can line up as running backs and do sometimes. And you've got running backs like McCaffrey – that line up as wide receivers. I mean, it's just it, the the talent that they have is unbelievable. Um, so you never count them out, but I think the Eagles will win. When it comes to the Chiefs and the Bengals, you know, I I just I I want to say that the Chiefs will win this game, but I just don't know if maybe Joe Burrow and the Bengals have got it going on. They've got some kind of magic. So I'm going to pick the Bengals in this game. You, that plus, well, the quarterback, uh, Mahomes, yeah. you know, hurt. So how will yeah, he be I, by by Sunday? We yeah, don't it's know. A, it's a high ankle sprain. It's a, the worst. And and he, but I think he'll probably be. I mean, I think he'll play. He'll play. Yeah. But if you look at what happened in in the game with, uh, uh, you know, with the Chiefs, Henna went out there, the backup quarterback, and he. They won the game, part of the reason, because while he was quarterback, he led them, what, from the five-yard line right down, not, yeah, not all the way down the field to a touchdown. <laughs> and he completed some great passes. He stayed in the pocket. He was, you know, um, if, the, if the Kansas – I don't know that if the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line can, can keep defenders at bay, if Henna might not be a better choice – in a playoff game like this, to stand back there and throw the ball accurately and let the receivers do the work instead of having Holmes running around back there the way he does. Now, he's a threat when he does that. I mean, on the run, he jumps and throws the ball and does all this stuff, and it's incredible. It looks like a flag football game. But, you know, if he had to sit out the game, I still wouldn't count the Chiefs out if Henna plays that well, as well as he did in uh, – this weekend. So, anyway, all right, that's enough about football. That's more than I meant to say. Um, I just – I enjoy uh, the NFL, like college football, too. It's just a diversion for me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just – I'm a Cowboys fan. I can't help it. I've been a Cowboys fan since I was five years old. I've tried. I've, I've been – you know, I've been to the, um, to the Tom Landry Clinic to dry out – from being a Cowboys fan, and sometimes, you know, I, I can make it a few weeks, but then I relapse. So I finally just embraced my inner Cowboy, and I'm just going to put up with it. You know, before the documents were found on this we, this weekend, we, we got more classified documents turning up at President Biden's properties. This is what the president had to say when it came to the whole document mess. 
We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Okay. So there's no there there. I have no regrets, even though in, in, unless you, in case you've lost count at home, and, and it's easy to lose count because of the way these things are, are being unfolded, five separate occasions now documents have been found that Vice President Biden had in his possession from the Obama administration. And this time, some of the documents that were found were from the time that Biden was a senator before he was vice president. Now, you can say what you want about the declassification of documents and whether or not the, a president has ultimate power and just being able to speak the word declass, declassify and a document is declassified. The vice president may have some ability to retain or have cause to have classified documents in his possession, but a senator has none. In fact, Dick Durbin, who has now become a chief critic of President Biden in all of this, calling his behavior irresponsible, described what the process is. He was on one of the Sunday talk shows, and he talked about the process that a senator goes through when they want to see a classified document. Somebody comes in with a locked case, a briefcase of some kind that's locked, they open the locked briefcase, hand a classified document to a senator. The senator reads it, gets whatever information that he needs. The document is passed back to the courier. It goes back in the briefcase. It's locked, and they walk out of the senator's office. Now, there's nothing in that scenario that says that the senator takes the document, folds it up, puts it in his wallet, or sticks it in his coat pocket, and goes home with it. So what was the Senator Biden doing, taking documents that are classified or sensitive anywhere near his residence. And they've been there since when? Well, uh, we know that Biden became vice president in, uh, or was vice president under President Obama from 2008 through 2016. So some of those documents have been there for, what, 15, 20 years? And these documents that came out from his time as a senator, we don't even know at what point those documents were classified or why Senator Biden would have had reason to take them out of out of the, a secure facility, which he wouldn't have because that's not what happens. Now, I want to talk about this. I think Andrew McCarthy has a great piece today over at National Review talking about the fact that President Biden's trying to make this look like that he's just a concerned citizen who is cooperating fully with the FBI and all of their requests. Uh, I'm asking you to please not buy that line because that's what it is. It is a it's a line that was fed to him by the lawyers. And what Biden is really doing here is cooperating ahead of a subpoena. In other words, if, if President Biden said, no, I don't want the FBI to search, we've turned over all the documents. Now, let's just suppose that he had said that prior to this FBI search that has now turned up more documents. And by the way, the president before said, we don't need the FBI to search. My lawyers 
are doing the searching, and they've found all the documents. How many times has the president's spokesperson came out and said, oh, that's it, that's it, that's all the documents, and then more are discovered? And what's the difference between that and President Trump having documents that more were found once a search was conducted? I mean, that the, the similarities here are striking. Now, we're going to talk about one of the reasons that both, both President Biden and President Trump may have had classified documents in their possession uh, in just a minute. I learned something about classified documents over the weekend and doing a little bit of research that I didn't know. But we'll get to that in a minute. I want to stay now with these latest documents that were found. President Biden said to the FBI, sure, you can search, because if he had said no, then there would have been a subpoena and the the FBI would have searched anyway, and it would look like that Biden was trying to cover this up. I mean, once this thing starts, it's better just to say, okay, go ahead and search. Because the alternative is to have the FBI come and search under the force of the Justice Department subpoena, especially now. Now, the reason he didn't do that earlier was because he had his lawyers looking for the documents. Once a special counsel was appointed by Merrick Garland, and the only reason a special counsel was appointed is they couldn't get around it. I mean, there the, the media failed President Biden in covering up enough of this so that it didn't become an issue. It's now an issue, and there's no way to put the horse back in the barn in this particular scenario. So... Um, you know, so the, the reason now that President Biden is saying, sure, come and search to the FBI is because of the special counsel. Uh, they have the subpoena power, and they certainly would have exercised it had Biden decided that he wasn't going to cooperate. And by the way, do you know when the information about these documents that were discovered, you know when it was released? They waited until after the start of the NFL playoff games on Saturday. Now, you know, that some would just say, well, that's just good PR. That's just common sense. That's just, you know, you're trying to minimize damage. You wait until there's some kind of event going on that distracts people. But this is the president of the United States. This is not a business that has a PR problem. This is the leader of the free world who is supposed to be totally transparent and claims he's being totally transparent with the American people, even though he and his lawyers tried to cover the whole thing up for two months, hoping that he could just quietly turn these documents back over to the archives and the archives would say thank you very much and be quiet about it. But they forgot that... You know, you, you have people who are watchdogs within the government that when they see this, they have a responsibility to notify the Justice Department, which is what President Biden should have done to start with. But no, he thought he could maybe keep this thing under wraps. He certainly kept it under wraps long enough to keep it from affecting the midterm elections or the outcome and particularly the race down in Georgia, the Senate race. Let me ask you, do you think enough voters would have changed their mind about Warnock if they had known, if they had been front-page scandal about President Biden and having classified documents all over the place? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think it wouldn't have changed the outcome. 
but I think it would have made the race closer. And certainly the voters had a right to know what the president of the United States was doing and had done. And it shouldn't have been covered up because those voters should have known before they went to the polls, they should have had that information about the administration and whether or not they wanted to turn the Senate over with a 51-49 majority to Democrats based on the fact that the president, as the head, the titular head of the Democrat Party, is behaving in this particular manner. Okay, um, let me let me pull down and just read a little bit about what Andrew McCarthy writes about this because his his analysis of this is spot on. He says, a guy who has nothing to hide does not retain high-priced lawyers to pack up his private office. Now, let's just stop right there. That's that's a true statement. I mean, you, if if you don't have anything to hide, I mean, you just get some people to come over and pack up your stuff. You don't hire incredibly expensive lawyers to be there to pack up stuff to make sure that it's put in the right place, to make sure that things get that these lawyers recognize things that shouldn't be there um, and can run some interference for the president. I mean, these lawyers, they they may be high-paid lawyers, but they're not cleared to view classified material. If there was a chance classified material was in there and Biden knew it, he should have had FBI investigators or National Archives representatives in there getting those documents because his lawyers were not cleared to see the material. So McCarthy goes on. Um Having lawyers pack up is the kind of thing you do when you're a Democratic president who raked in millions of millions of dollars from foreign operatives when Republicans are about to take control of the House and use its subpoena power to investigate. See, this is where this is where the American people need to connect some dots here, okay? This is not only about classified documents being discovered. This is I want to know everything that was in that pen office of the president. I want to know that think tank. I want to know everything that came out of there because of the, I think it's what, $64 million that the Chinese gave to build that center. I mean, is there evidence in there of the connection between Hunter Biden and President Biden and the cash that Hunter Biden's been funneling to the Biden family from international operatives i mean is there were were there links beyond what's on hunter biden's laptop that would connect the president to all that that we the american people if they're going to be transparent you know while everybody's focusing on the documents that are top secret that were found there and we should be but we also should be asking the question at the same time what else was discovered What else came out of that think tank? Why were high-powered lawyers paid to go and remove the stuff that was in there? What does the president have to hide? Why is he not being totally transparent? And here's another question. Why did the Justice Department wait so long to do what they've done? Why in the interim did both the DOJ and the Biden White House allow Biden private lawyers who didn't have security clearance to conduct what turned out to have been incomplete searches 
that exposed them to secret intelligence they weren't authorized to possess and failed to locate the intelligence they said they were looking for. It actually took the FBI to find the additional documents. Now, I'll tell you what's coming next. The FBI is considering expanding its search to more Biden properties. And if that happens, I mean, if, if either the president consents or he doesn't consent and the special counsel is able to get a subpoena, then how do we know we're not going to find more documents? How do we know there's not? We don't know. And what does this do to President Biden's reelection chances? I mean, is every day that goes by that more documents are found and the president arrogantly behaves as if it's no big deal after condemning Trump for having and saying that it was totally irresponsible for President Trump to have classified documents outside the White House. And now we've got Biden, even as a senator, was bringing classified documents out when he was not even supposed to have them long enough to be able to possess them. He was supposed to hand them back and they'd be spirited back to wherever they came from. So this, is, this thing is far from over. And it, if the FBI doesn't pursue it and the Justice Department doesn't demand it, then we're going to know that it's because Merrick Garland is trying to protect President Biden, and that's not his role. Before we wrap up this conversation about the documents, I want to share some information about the number of classified documents that are out there. You know, I, as far as I know, nobody's talked about that. I mean, I haven't seen a news report about it. I haven't heard any of the talking heads at Fox News or anybody. Now, maybe I missed it because I, I don't watch that stuff 24-7. Um, but I, I haven't heard those conversations. Neil Patel, who's the co-founder of the Daily Signal, has a piece today over at, uh, excuse me, the Daily Caller. He's co-founder of the Daily Caller. He's writing today in the Daily Signal. And this is what he says. Let me, let me just share some of this with you. Patel says, the presidency is important. The system is based on respecting that office, even when you don't like the occupant. From the phony Russia collusion story all the way through the overhyped classified document scandal, many of Trump's opponents unfairly attack not only Trump, but the office of the presidency itself. That's playing out today with the classified document scandal. Now, that's absolutely true. Uh, President Trump certainly shouldn't have had classified documents in his Florida home. But the FBI raid, the high-profile nature of all that, the dramatic picture of the documents spread out on the floor, which, I mean, that picture was staged. They wanted you to believe in that picture that President Trump just had documents stored out all over the floor in his closet. It was actually the FBI that laid them out in a pattern and then took a picture and didn't give the context or explain it properly. So the whole thing, again, when, should Trump have had those documents? No. Should it have been hyped into the story that it became? Again, it should not have. No. I mean, those documents could have been retrieved, turned back over to the National Archives. I mean, if Trump had a nefarious reason for having those documents, if he was sharing information with foreign nationals, but there's absolutely no evidence that that's happened. 
And so now, because the press, the media, the talking heads, the Democrats in particular, raised such a stink about this, now they got a problem because their guy is guilty of the same thing. And you could argue that it's even worse because, again, he didn't have the authority to have those documents that President Trump had. And certainly he didn't have it when he was a United States senator. So here's, here, here's Patel goes on to say this. The first thing to understand about classified documents is there's just way too many of them. Former Pentagon special counsel and Yale law professor Onoa Hathaway told NPR there's somewhere in the order of over 50 million documents that are classified every year. Now, that's not 50 million total since the beginning of the country. That's 50 million documents a year that get classified. Some form of sensitivity classification from government classifiers, where the people who have the responsibility to look at the documents and determine who they should be available to. Well, that and actually that's a, and that's an estimate because there's so many that even the government can't take can't can't keep up with the total number. The government office in charge of protecting national security information confirmed in a 2021 report that it cannot keep up with the number and count how many documents are now classified. Now, you know what that says to me? Too much stuff is being classified. Okay, we we definitely need to classify secrets that we don't want our enemies to know. We need to classify military sensitive military research, documents about people where they're serving as spies. I mean, there are all kinds of legitimate things to classify, but 50 million a year? That is that's overkill on steroids. And is there any wonder that people are walking around with documents. I mean, how do we know that we wouldn't find classified documents if we went to some White House driver, limo driver? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I doubt it. But I'm just saying, the, the bulk of documents, and I'm not making excuses for President Biden. Again, the way Biden has handled this has been horrible. And Democrats are beginning to criticize him for it. Dick Durbin, Joe Manchin, they're coming out saying, look, this is unacceptable. Um, I mean, even Schiff, Adam Schiff said, you know, this is bad news. This is something that the president shouldn't be involved in. And he's chief liar. I mean, he's the that that ought to be his title in the Democrat Party, chief liar and defender of false Democrat statements, because that's what he does best. And yet he's critical. All right, let me, let me wrap this up with something Rich Lowry wrote, and I love it when Rich, Rich Lowry does satire, which is what this is. So I want, you to be, I want to be clear, this is satire. This is not true, but this is, this is some funny stuff. Wilmington, Delaware, January 22nd, 2023. Classified documents from Joe Biden's time as vice president were discovered in a popular Wilmington, Delaware ice cream shop this afternoon. In an unusual series of events, a patron thought he had left his sunglasses, and when an employee rummaged through the lost and found bin kept in the supply closet, she discovered at the very bottom several documents with top-secret markings. 
The shop, Sweet Lucille's on Union Street, notified local authorities who told the FBI of the discovery. The White House issued a statement confirming that Biden has indeed frequented the shop over the years, but said the president has no recollection of ever taking or leaving sensitive materials there and that he takes the handling of classified documents very seriously. Republicans seem prepared to pounce on the latest discovery. Bob Bauer, Biden's personal attorney, minimized the security threat, arguing that the supply closet was occasionally locked at night and that the only people who had access to it were constantly was a constantly rotating cast of poorly paid employees from the local high school. <laughs> and then he goes on and there's a July 17, 2025, the FBI raided the Golden Years Assisted Living Facility this morning in, a, in an extraordinary search for classified documents from Joe Biden's time as President of the United States. Biden and his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, have a two-room suite on the second floor of the facility, and the FBI spent approximately 45 minutes sweeping the apartment. The Justice Department said that according to an initial accounting, documents match confidential, confidential, secret, or top secret were found in multiple locations in the suite, including under a stack of New York Times crossword puzzles mixed up with weekly menus and calendars for the facility under several rolls of paper towels kept in a closet and lining the cage of a pet parakeet named Scranton and that the Bidens adopted shortly after leaving the White House. Come on, man. In a brief Q&A with the reporters gathered outside the facility, a visibly, visibly agitated Biden gesticulated with a cane and said, there's nothing to see here, and whoever says otherwise is a liar. Dr. Jill Biden briefly, interviewed, briefly intervened and said, what Joe means to say is that he takes the handling of classified documents very seriously. <laughs> This is just good stuff from Rich Lowry. Lowry. If you want to read the whole thing, there's a there's a, two or three more. I don't have time to go into them, but those to me were the two that were the funniest. Um, they did the FBI did say that they had found some rocky road stains on uh, one of the documents and the, something they were gonna they were gonna send it to the forensic lab, but they were pretty sure it was Rocky Road ice cream. So. Anyway, just for your enjoyment this morning. 